Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet, nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Wonder Gold, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me, as always, are my friends and colleagues, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And gentlemen, I'm pretty exhausted. Uh, been a lot of soccer these past 14 days or so, and the Champions League ties were just outrageous, and we we, we came out pretty well. Our our boys from Villarreal uh, making us look good. Chelsea came close, and then the City Atleti match was just absolute theater. But we're better, so we're always looking ahead and not back. And what are we looking ahead to this weekend? Another Man City-Liverpool match, this time the FA Cup semifinal. This is a 10.30 a.m. kickoff on Saturday at Wembley. City is plus 115 on the three-way money line. Liverpool is plus 200. The draw is plus 220. The two-advance line is City sitting at odds-on minus 165 with Liverpool at plus 120. Like I really don't know what else there is to say about these two teams anymore we kind of have an idea of how this should play out uh city's going to try be trying to beat the high line of liverpool liverpool's going to be as clinical as possible uh and take their chances so i guess you kind of just run it back like i would say i'll probably lean towards city again like i did last week and we'll just all watch them draw 2-2 in an exciting fashion um anthony uh you were on liverpool in their match over the weekend Last weekend, will you be back on the Reds this coming weekend? Yeah, I certainly lean that way again. I mean, I don't have much difference between these two teams. Going into the match last week, I thought they were very comparable. I had City, like I said, a smidge better. I didn't really change much from that game. I thought it was definitely interesting in how it played out. It was not how I expected it to play out. I thought City were going to be much more conservative in possession, similar to how they were when they played the first time. They weren't. They were immediately looking to go long, outlets to the wings, vertical, get in behind Alexander Arnold, get in behind Robertson. And really, I mean, it worked. I mean, they were the better side early. I thought the first 20 ish minutes, they were clearly better. Uh, and they, they deserved the lead at halftime. And then I thought Liverpool made some adjustments. They pressed more, a lot more in the second half. It was noticeable. And that made it much harder for city to kind of make that work and make their passing go. They weren't as nearly successful breaking into the Liverpool box, but all in all, I mean, you look at all the numbers from total passes completed was, was relatively in favor of City, but a lot of their passes were 
you know, in the, in the back half of their, of the pitch. So, you know, they're just not quite looking to get it forward as quickly as Liverpool was, but in terms of dangerous possession, it was very similar city got in the box more, but they didn't do as much with it. So I don't, change a ton from this. The only biggest question mark is what changes in terms of tactics and what changes in terms of uh, momentum and in terms of kind of how these managers go about it. I think the most likely scenario, if you go back to what happened last year, because we had a similar experience with city and Chelsea, the less consequential of the matches was the more open one. It was the one that Pep rotated a little bit more for. I think we may see that because City needed the result last weekend. Of course, they'd want to win this match, but in the grand scheme of it, the league and the Champions League are more important for City and Liverpool than this match. And when you take away the pressure of not making the mistakes and the pressure of, you know, maybe, you know, you're not quite as drilled in, you tend to get more goals. So I would lean toward Liverpool. I would lean again toward the over. I have not bet anything in this game yet. We'll see if I end up getting there. Uh, Might see if we get more late City steam like we did last weekend but I, I think again like these two teams are pretty comparable what what's cool about this situation is that it te- the market's going to tell you where these two teams are because what do we always talk about oh who do you have favored on a neutral this is a neutral they're playing at Wembley um so the market's telling you that what we I guess assumed city slightly better here uh but Liverpool like Anthony like you said there's really not that much separating uh the two sides I just I I don't want to read too much into that kind of stuff with the, like the squad rotation. I learned my lesson I think earlier in this year when I tried to game that out during the Champions League games. It meant nothing, and these two managers still just kind of surprised us with with selections here and there. So it's a tough one to break down. It's it's I I really wonder what the kind of build up like the hype around this game is going to be because they just played quote unquote like the game of the year quote unquote, the biggest Premier League match of all time last week, just last week, three, four days ago. And because this one is in the FA Cup, it's not generating that kind of uh, buzz. So I wonder even like where, if this market's even going to move as much, uh, because I feel like the action just won't be there as much. Uh, There won't be as much action uh, on this one compared to what we saw on Sunday. BJ, uh, anything new for you between Klopp, Guardiola, the Citizens, the Reds? I mean, not, I, I agree. Nothing has really changed from that match. I mean, it was pretty went to script. I think how maybe we all thought it was going to go. I mean, there, what I found interesting is how few shots there were only 17 in the match, 29 shot creating actions between the two sides. Now, you know, the chances that they created were high quality, you know, there are 3.1 expected goals created in the match, but you know, city holding 55% possession is not quite that shocking. So city closed that around what, around what even money plus one Oh five, for that one, you take away home field advantage, which is worth about 25 cents in the Premier League, and you get City at plus 130, pretty much. The oddsmakers haven't changed anything from what's happened last last Sunday. So back then, I didn't really have any projected value on that, and I only have City at plus 124 here. So what's interesting, though, with Liverpool is they went with uh, pretty much a, a B team for the match against Benfica today. I mean, they went with a back line of, Gomez, Matip, Konate, and uh, Tsimikas. So they basically got to rest Van Dyke, Alexander-Arnold, Robertson. We played Diaz, Firmino, and Jota up top. They, Salah obviously came on as a sub, but 
and Sadio Mane did as well, but those guys will be rested. So Liverpool, I would say, would be the more rested team getting to play at home, not having to travel like City did to Madrid and having to come back. So I would definitely lean Liverpool, even though I'm not there on the projection at, at two to one. Uh, if, if any team takes this more seriously, I think Liverpool would, given their squad rotation. But then again, Liverpool's got Manchester United on Tuesday in the Premier League, which is uber important for them. So it's it's tough to call. It, for me, it's a pass. Maybe try to get in live if, you know, if Liverpool scores first, I might try to get in on City because my guess is once Liverpool scores, City will just dominate possession and just hold the ball in their final third. And, you know, Liverpool might be more threatening on the counter, but I do think that City overall – is a better team on a neutral field. So definitely leaning towards Liverpool because of the squad rotation they were able to do in the Champions League. But other than that, this is a pass for me. Yeah, one more thing. Like, I think you made a good point. Like, Liverpool did their rotating. City really didn't. And I think City, you know, what we may see from Pep is some rotated defenders. Wouldn't be shocked to see that. And I think that is where you tend to get. City is so dependent on this possession structure that when they do reserve some of their backups, that's when you tend to see them be more open. And we actually saw this last year. They had wrapped up the league by April. The last handful of matches, they played some reserve defenders. They took more chances in possession. The games were just more open. And I think Liverpool will be happy to play that way with them. And I think City, if they do that, will be more vulnerable defensively to what Liverpool wants to do. So that, I think that all plays into Liverpool. And even if we ran it back, like you said, I played Liverpool last weekend at plus a half. I guess I have to play Liverpool plus a quarter. So uh, I would definitely lean that way. I probably will end up playing uh, the Reds. Ruben Diaz is upgraded to questionable now. So that's obviously a big boost to City if he's able to play. But my guess is that Pep will probably end up saving him for the Premier League match on Wednesday against Brighton. And most important player for City's defense, Kyle Walker. It was evident on Sunday. And I think that if you look at it, like his ability to be like a sweeper defender is the most important thing they have, especially against Liverpool, who are going to look to get in behind. So if he's out, I'm playing Liverpool. Hopefully Phil Foden recovers from that devastating ankle injury as well. And yeah, that's the thing. They were played a very physical match today. Liverpool yeah. really didn't. I mean, it was back and forth. It was fun. It was open. Yeah. It was entertaining, but they didn't really, you know, get into the weeds like City and Aleti did playing an extra 105 minutes with, with added time. The other uh, FA Cup semifinal we'll talk about before we get into the Premier League is Chelsea. They're minus 190 taking on Crystal Palace, who were plus 525 on the three-way money line. The draw is plus 310. This is an 11.30 a.m. kickoff on Sunday at Wembley. Palace plus 260 to advance to the final. Chelsea minus 450. An interesting one here because uh, it's it's not like a motivational thing to really break down with Chelsea because, look, this is their only shot at silverware this season now, or important silverware. So they already they already won the what, whatever, the UEFA Club World Cup. So, you know, the Super Cup. At the Super Cup, you caps off to to them for doing that. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is you know they're probably their their biggest competition now left in the season because they're pretty well concreted into that third spot in the Premier League. But they're coming off a you want to talk about an emotional supercharged match. They're coming off a, a crazy one against Real Madrid where they forced extra time from three one down and on aggregate going into the second leg at the Bernabeu. Played really, really well. Almost perfectly. Made two mistakes. Both of them end up in the back of the net. Uh, that's what happens when you play against Real Madrid and Kareem Benzema. So now, I mean, it's a it's it's a natural letdown spot for this team. But at the same time, they have uh, they have to go for it. And 
it's it's not going to be straightforward. Like we've talked about this Crystal Palace team a lot from the beginning of the season. They just have looked a, a really tricky team uh, for these bigger clubs to to navigate, and that's just because of their defense. Top five in non penalty expected goals per ninety in the Premier League, in big chances allowed, and shots per ninety. No Connor Gallagher because he is uh, a, on loan from Chelsea, which is a big miss for them in the middle of the park. But I still don't think that's enough to keep me off of Palace at at a big number. They've just punched up way too well to let this plus 525 uh, pass me by. So I'll be on the Eagles once again, Anthony. Uh, you like them too, right? Yeah, I do. And I think you're right. Like they were up 3-0. Like they were through somehow and didn't go through. I mean, talk about a kick in the nads for the club and for the, you know, I was at a Chelsea bar and they thought they had it won. I mean, they were, they were already thinking about the semis. And I think to lose the way they did has a hangover effect. And now they have to get up again. I mean, we've talked about this over and over again, how many big matches have Chelsea played in the last month and a half over every competition you can possibly imagine. Now Chelsea did get unlucky. I mean, 4.1 expected goals. They scored four. They only conceded 2.4 to Real, but they got Benzema. They got Mendy. They got Modric, right? And, you know, they were, they were probably due for some of that. So, you know, I'm not feeling bad for Chelsea. We'll say, but I thought Palace were pretty unfortunate on, on Sunday to not get a result against Leicester. There was a bizarre penalty sequence, penalty retake, convert the rebound, crazy sequence. But you take that out of the game. I thought it was relatively even. XG was pretty even. Shots were pretty even. Leicester was ahead. So you have to kind of factor that in. But I thought Palace played, I mean, going into the game, they they ended up closing damn near a pick. So the market showed some respect for them after we recorded it Wednesday. And I thought it was a pretty even game. And, you know, they bounced one against them, but I I didn't really downgrade them off of that performance. And if you go back to the two times these two teams played early, the first game was the first match of the season. I don't really read too much into that. The last time they played, Chelsea were uh, minus a goal favorites and they scored in stoppage time to win the match. But overall, it was very back and forth, very low scoring, not a lot of chances, pretty cagey. I'm expecting that to be pretty similar here. I've got Chelsea by 0.81 goals and the other markets that I look at, you know, you look at like XG difference for the year. It's only about like 0.75 different. So I, I show some clear value here on Palace uh, and I'm going to take them plus one. Uh, yeah, B- BJ, Anthony kind of touched on it, and I'm, I'm in agreement with him. I think that this is a, a match that could go deep into, uh, you know, the 90 minutes at nil-nil, one-nil, one-one. You know, it's going to be pretty low event, and that's how you're kind of angling here too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what we saw at Selhurst Park the last time these two played in. That match, you know, Akeem Zayt scored in the 87th minute to essentially cap off what was a pretty good okay Chelsea performance early on Crystal Palace really dominated the second half of that match it was kind of a little bit of a fluky goal really towards the end but so these Anthony mentioned it but these teams have met twice now first match of the season you can put whatever stock you want into it only 1.2 total expected goals were created that match at Selhurst Park only 1.7 total expected goals created and you already mentioned it Michael these two teams are both top five in non-penalty expected goals allowed uh, I mean both of them are allowing you know under 1.1 per match for the season so I understand Chelsea's been on fire offensively the last few matches, but this, like you guys mentioned, this is a big time come down. I know it's Wembley. I know it's an FA Cup semifinal, so it may take them a little while to actually get into the match. But I mean, man, I I only have two point three goals projected, so under two and a half goals at minus one ten, I think has uh, some decent value given the situational spot for Chelsea. Yeah, it'll be a, an interesting weekend in the FA Cup. And an interesting weekend in the Premier League. That's where we'll shift to now. A 7.30 a.m. kickoff between... 
Tottenham Hotspur, red hot Tottenham Hotspur, minus 185. BJ and I were saying it all season long. Anthony was saying we were crazy that this team was headed for a top four finish. And look at this. They're headed towards a top four finish. So pat on our backs here, BJ. Yep. Uh, they're minus 185, hosting Brighton. Five to one on the money line. The draw is plus three thirty. Brighton just beat Arsenal, and that line was remarkably similar to what we're looking at here. And uh, I do think Tottenham's a little bit of a better team, so I wonder if we'll see uh, Brighton drift a little bit. And that's where I'm looking. I like the Seagulls here. I mean, it's it's been bad for them. Let's we won't sugarcoat it. They just snapped an 0-1 and six win draw loss stretch where they were outscored thirteen to one, and the XG was not pretty for them either. But we know we just know that this team is better than what that form showed. Like, like there's some times where you you I'm not saying to throw the numbers out or whatever, but you just know they're gonna end up bouncing back. That was rock bottom for them, and that's when you want to buy in on teams. Plus, we've said it all season long. Brighton are a team that punches up really well. We saw it over the weekend. They were lucky to beat Arsenal, but they did it. They hung around uh, and they got the result over the line, and that's what you want out of an underdog. So Graham Potter and Brighton at numbers like this against any team are always worth a sniff. So that's where I'm going. Uh, give me the Seagulls money line. We'll see where it goes, but I do expect it to widen a little bit considering just how good Tottenham has been lately. Um, and plus they, they won the reverse fixture of this one, two nil uh, and doubled them up on XG about a month ago. Anthony, um, anything for you to say on your Spurs? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been fun where we're good. I, I, I was saying this, Months ago, I think we need to check the tapes. I've been wrong plenty this year. I think you have a V-Real ticket that might laugh in my face. But uh, after what I said a few weeks ago, when I said, don't take them 90 to one, now they're in the semis. But Tottenham is a team, you know, I've, I've been touting and it's been fun to tout them as my favorite team. But man, were we lucky. We lucky against Villa last weekend. I think that was the first match they conceded over one and a half expected goals to Villa. They were completely outplayed in the first half. But again, when you have Son who can hit the post and find the corner twice and Kulu scoring from a crazy angle, sometimes you're just running really hot. That's when I look to fade, right? And we've now reached the point and the spot where I want to fade Tottenham because as much fun as I've had betting on them and betting their overs, the market's now over inflating them against Brighton. They played last week against Arsenal. You said it, right? They're comparable teams. I have Spurs better. I made Spurs minus 160 here. I had Arsenal minus 134 last week. So I do think Arsenal are worse than Tottenham. But even then, I can't get to the current number at minus 180. 538 has them at minus 155, Tottenham. BJ has them at minus 136. They're sitting there at minus 180, which is a clear sign that they're inflated in the market. They were just minus 180 at home against Newcastle. And I don't think any of us think Newcastle is as good as Brighton. So... Brighton's a better team than Newcastle, and they're clearly being priced about similarly. Tottenham is not going to finish this well forever. And so I don't love the matchup. Brighton has had problems. They press high, Spurs win in behind, and then chaos ensues and defensive transition issues for Brighton. And then we, you know, Tottenham scores easily, right? But they didn't get a key injury. And I can't believe I'm saying these words, but Matt Doherty is a huge loss for Tottenham. Imagine saying that like six months ago, right? But he has, I mean, he's one of the best uh, expected assists per 90 in the entire league. He's gotten forward a ton. He's been really good uh, in and out of possession as a wing back, and he's going to be a big loss. So I think Spurs are a little overvalued here. I'm taking the plus one on Brighton again, just like I did last week with Arsenal. Still think the Seagulls are undervalued. Like them as a dog, plus one. Yeah, I mean, Tottenham, It's this run is crazy that they've gone on. They're, 
there's like almost 10 goals above their XG and they're playing the team that you, you'd expect. It's like they're playing the exact polar opposite of them. I guess, you know, Brighton from last year. So uh, maybe, maybe the universe is looking out for the seagulls here uh, and, and giving some, some much needed regression in, in their favor. BJ, um, are you also on the seagulls here? And what is a big one um, and a big spot for this race for the top four? Yeah, I need I need Brighton to win so bad. I need them to double up on these North London teams. Um, Not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. So to put some numbers to that Tottenham overperformance since they lost in the FA Cup to Middlesbrough, uh, twenty one goals off of thirteen point two expected. I mean, Anthony already mentioned this past weekend, four goals against Villa off of one expected. Like, are you kidding me? Seriously, like that's how you're gonna get to the top four? Whatever. I'm right. Um, we were due but, for that. We were the we were the biggest oh, underperformers in the league early in the year. I Whatever. kept watching us miss chance after chance after chance, and I said this is gonna this is gonna come back. I mean, it regressed to the opposite extreme. Now we're like back to where we should be. But I mean, Tottenham fifty six from fifty two. I think they're at for the year. It's about right. I would expect. Sure. Whatever. Um, Brighton last ten matches five goals scored off of nine point one expected. So this is a pendulum swinging type of match. So I agree with Anthony. I do like Brighton plus one. I'm close. I, I need even money or better. Like I'm at around around two percent of value. I, I need even money to get to get to about three. What's the key for this one to me is Tottenham. They are not a great pressing team. The 17th in pressure success rate, dead last in high turnovers. Brighton is fourth in offensive pass per defensive action. And in their last meeting, I mean against Tottenham, I mean Tottenham's pass per defensive action was over 17 against Brighton. So if Brighton's able to play through pressure that easily and they don't commit a few mistakes and capitalize on a few of those swinging crosses going to the box, we could have a different story. But yes, I mean, Tottenham's just, they're overvalued in the market, very similarly to how Arsenal was during their run, uh, their hot run. They were just overvalued pretty much every single week. So Tottenham has kind of reached that same type of realm. Uh, We'll see where the market goes and them going forward. But yes, uh, definitely leaning towards Brighton. And I really hope that people buy into Tottenham, uh, but I'm afraid they're not going to. All right, we'll move on to Watford, a big one for them too, plus 190, hosting Brentford. The Beavs are plus 160 on the three-way money line. The draw here is plus 229 home losses in a row for Watford. Roy Hodgson has yet to win a match in front of uh, the crowd at Vicarage Road. And it's like it, it's tough here because we were just talking about how we need to sell high on Spurs on a, after a crazy run. And logic would dictate you want to do the same for Brentford here and you want to buy low on a Watford team, but it's really hard to get there. And then I think the number is still pretty good on Brentford plus 160 on the road. I just don't know if we've seen the kind of top of this mountain that Brentford's ascending. Uh, they're 4 0 1, 12 goals for, four goals against um, on 10 expected goals and four expected goals against. So it's not like they're overperforming uh, during the stretch. And they're playing a team that is just struggling to do anything well defensively. They were pretty good under Hodgson in, in the kind of first six or seven matches, but that those numbers have, have started to decline a little bit. They did hold leads to under one expected goal and, and weren't horrible against Liverpool. But if they're selling out for defense, then they're not score. They're not training enough on offense. And it's just a bad recipe against a Brentford team that is going to be all over them pressing in great form. I don't think Brent, uh, Watford has the ball movers to put the ball on the carpet and beat this Brentford press. So, I think it's it's a it's a square spot, but a, a good spot for the bees. Give me the bees. Buzz plus one sixty on Brentford for me. Uh, BJ, 
What do you got? Yeah, yeah. so I definitely lead towards Brentford. I, I hate to say that I need a better number because I know I'm not going to get it. Um, I'm about right at minus 120 on the on the draw no bet line for Brentford. I mean, listen, they're an incredible form. You already mentioned it. You know, nine nine expected goals in their last four matches, and this is a really really good match for them because Watford is the worst team in the Premier League at playing through pressure. They're dead last in offensive passes per defensive action and pressure success rate allowed. Brentford seventh in passes per defensive action, sixth in high turnovers. And if we go back to when these two teams met in December at the Brentford Community Stadium, Brentford's pressure completely overwhelmed Watford. And then really the entire second half was spent inside uh, Watford's final third. I mean, Brentford just pinned them in for the final 45 minutes and got the result that they deserved. In that match, Brentford had a 49% pressure success rate and their passes per defensive action was 4.1. That is one of the best pressing performances of anybody throughout the entire Premier League season. Secondly, the way to beat Brentford is you got to press them back. You got to press them high and you got to press them effectively. Watford is not that team. They're now under Roy Hodgson. They're playing a 4-4-2. They're playing, they're sitting back. They're 19th in pass per defensive action. So not a great matchup for them. And really in that for, and you know, the last time they met that it was just such a dominant Brentford performance, but here's where it gives me pause, not only just from a projection standpoint, but Watford has been incredibly unlucky under Roy Hodgson. In his 11 matches in charge, minus 14 actual goal differential, only a minus 3.98 expected goal differential. Even this past weekend, you know, they lost 3-0 to Leeds, but the expected goals battle was pretty much even. So it's, it's very difficult for me. I really want to play Brentford. I agree with you, Michael, that from a matchup standpoint, this is about as good as it gets for Brentford. But from a projection standpoint, I'm just, I really want to take it. And I'm hoping if you want to, if you want to grab Brentford, just grab it now, because I don't see a scenario where Watford's going to get steamed in the market. Uh, you could make the argument that Brentford is safe and doesn't have anything to play for, but they're in an incredible form and they're not the type of club. Like we'll talk about in a minute with Southampton, who looks like they want to be on a beach. They look like they want to keep this good form going while Watford is, I mean, they're, they're going to get relegated. They're in desperation mode. So you're, you're kind of seeing that in the market because it, you know, from the naked eye, when you look at this, like when I first looked at it, I was like, wow, that seems pretty low on Brentford. So definitely leaning towards the bees, but the Watford potential positive regression to Roy Hodgson is giving me some pause. Yeah. I wonder, like, we're going to talk about motivation a lot over the next few weeks. It, it, it is a thing. I think it's, 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 it's something to consider, especially with um, these teams. You're going to see like Aston Villa, Southampton. Um, you know, I guess you can make an argument for Brighton, these teams that are comfortable. But with Brentford, a top half finish is a huge deal for this club in its first Premier League season. So they're only four points back uh, of that. I know they've, they've played more than anybody, but I think that's what they'll be gunning for. Actually, they're, they're only one point back, but four, four points out of nine. So like BJ, like you said, there's there's nothing about um, how I'll be looking at Brentford for the foreseeable future that is going to make me think, ah, you know, maybe they might they might not be up with it. Their mind might be on uh, on the beach, uh, as they say. So, I mean, they've been on the beach for three weeks now and they've looked great. So, yeah, B's for me, B's for BJ. If we can get a bigger number, Anthony, um, I think it's a similar story for you, right? Yeah, I, I kind of. Lean Watford, sort of. I think this is a good sell spot. Watford's desperate. They're at home. There are going to be better spots. Brentford isn't very much in an exhale spot. They just had a win against West Ham, a win against Chelsea. They got out of the, the zone here. And their defense has run pretty well in the last six or seven matches. But 
the numbers just not there for me. So I'm, I'm going to pass here. All right, let's move on to <laughs> this one's going to be funny. Uh, Manchester United, they're minus 425 hosting North City on a one game winning streak. The Canaries are they're 12 to one on the money line. The draw here is plus 550. I don't care if it's North City. I don't care if it's Coventry City. I don't care if it's Cambridge United. How on earth are you going to lay minus 425 on Manchester United right now? I don't, I just don't understand how you can do it. Uh, this, you want to talk about on a beach? I have no idea where United is right now. Like we know Eric Ten Hag is, has a, a verbally agreed to his deal. I think a lot of these players know that they're not going to be back next season under Ten Hag. What are they playing for at this point? Like you, you could tell me right now that a bet on Norwich City at 12 to 1 is actually a decent shot. And it's not crazy. This is the worst Premier League team uh, we've seen this season by far, but United just is not at the races at all. So there's no way on earth I can be talked into a United bet here. And look, I mean, if you want to look at silver linings, Snort City back-to-back clean sheets, one of them is a win, although they uh, allowed 3.7 expected goals in those in those two matches. So yeah, it's uh, it's Norwich or nothing for me. And I think I'll probably be there just for the laughs. BJ, anything for you? Yeah, so what's interesting about this matchup is if you go back, these two these two teams played uh, earlier. It was a United barely won one nothing, and they had a penalty in there. So it really wasn't this dominant type performance that we've seen against a lot of the other bigger sides that have took on uh, Norwich. Yeah, you know, you mentioned where their head is at, especially after the loss against Everton. I mean, they got Liverpool on deck on Tuesday, and then Arsenal next Saturday. So. You want to talk about a, I mean, not not necessarily the definition of a sandwich spot, but it's definitely a look ahead spot. So, I, I I agree with you. So I have United around minus three fifteen. So I can't get even close to minus four fifty, but it's very very hard for me. I don't think I've bet on Norwich once this season. Maybe maybe a both teams to score, but. I don't, I don't plan to start now. So uh, I will be ultimately passing on this one, uh, but I really, really hope that Norwich does something against United. You can say they're not really alive for a top four. I mean, they're, they're six points back from Tottenham with seven matches left to play. So there's really, I mean, it's pretty much over for United and I, they don't, and they're not the type of club that really cares. Like, Oh my gosh, we're, like they're, Honestly, they're either going to be out of Europe or in the Europa Conference League. Like it's going to be, it's going to be very funny to watch next season under under Ten Hag because and we'll talk about it more in the future. But if they don't bring in the players that fit his system, I mean, it's going to be we're going to go through the same song and dance again next year. And uh, I mean, another note about Norwich is we know, we know where their relegation hopes are. They're minus. You know, they're basically off it's, the board. Yeah, it's, it's, it's over. Like minus 1,000, right? It's over. But they just collected four points in the last two games. So they're thinking, look, we've seen miracles before. We've seen great escapes before. Maybe we can at least push or kick the can down the road if they get points out of this United game, if they win this United game. That makes their next game worth playing and, and worth being invested in again, right? So that's what they're playing for here. So it's not like this is a, a team, that, a lame duck uh, zombie team. It's just really not out of the question that they do this, uh, even at Old Trafford. And by the time the final whistle blows on uh, on Saturday morning, we see just someone in hockey, a lot of times in, with Canadian markets, when, when fans are fed up, they throw jerseys on the ice. They throw the, they say, I'm, I'm done. And if we see some United jerseys uh, on the, on the pitch, uh, Anthony, 
real quick on United and Norwich. Yeah, I don't have a ton here. I kind of lean toward Norwich as well. If it got to two at a better number, I would play it, but it's never going to get there. I don't think I don't hate like the first goal score you bet that you like to do. Norwich is like plus 350 to score first. If you Timo Pogi seven to one. If you if United's flat, I I couldn't do that because I know if I did the Timu, it would be somebody else would score first, and I would just be kicking myself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't hate that idea. Like, if you wanted to get out the derivative market here, I think this is a good game to do it because you're attacking United's motivation, which isn't really priced into the market. So I think you could maybe look there, like a first goal or first half money line, or if you want to get crazy, full game money line. I don't hate any of those plays, just because yeah. I think there's there's an all downside. On United, there's no upside. Three, three guys I'll give you for first goal score. And they're, uh, Josh Sargent. Yeah, Josh Sargent, 16-1. But I was thinking more like Grant Grant Hanley, 80-1. to United sucks on set pieces. United set piece defense, yeah. Uh, Max Ahrens, 130-1. to I don't think he scored all year. Yeah, but you never know. Uh, ben, Gibson, ben Gibson, 100-1. to I mean, why not take a shot at one of these guys against a, yeah, a terrible United set piece defense? I think that's normally, the, you know, it's funny. I, I'm surprised I'm not on the Norwich team total over. I need to go look more into that now because I, I, uh, uh, I, I, the, I, I typically generically look toward that when they're playing one of the big six in the last month or it's two. It's minus one ten. Hmm. Over half is minus one ten. Hmm. But I, I think that the point, the point stance is that it's a, it's a game you take a shot in if you're looking, yeah, if you're going to be watching it. It's a game you take a shot. No interest a, in betting United though. I mean, minus one and a half, minus yeah. one forty. Are they serious? And, they they shouldn't like, be that against anybody. Exactly. And we might see them rotate too, because they have a big match coming in the midweek. So like, I think they'll be, I think they'll be up for Liverpool, by the way. I think yeah, exactly. I'm, I think, I think I'm going to be gonna betting them on Tuesday. Them. That's the funny thing. Like that's the great thing about betting, right? Here we are talking about no way I'm betting man, uh, man United against the worst team in the Premier League. Hell yeah. I'll bet them against the second best team in the Premier League. What a, what a hobby we have. All right, let's move on to uh, Southampton. They are three to one at home, hosting BJ's Arsenal. Azan minus one hundred five on the road. The draw is plus two sixty five. The Saints, they're probably on the beach. Uh, they're zero one and four win draw loss in their last five in the Premier League. That's three goals for fifteen goals against. The expected goals does suggest that they are um, due for some positive regression. They have seven goal expected goals for and eleven against in uh, in that span. So about four goals in the red in, in both departments. Arsenal, though, they're in some weird form. Uh, 1-0-3, win draw loss in their last four. They've been outscored 7-2 in those games. Uh, must, must win game for their top four chances, and they'll be on the road in, at Southampton, a team that uh, they haven't lost 9 nothing yet this, this season, so maybe that's coming. Uh, they almost did against Chelsea. I thought we were going to get it there, um, but so that's something to keep in mind. But the Saints, man, like, I, you just never know what to, to expect from them, and I think Arsenal, even at as a as a odds on road favorite, could be a little cheap against a, a Southampton side that is just giving up goals left and right here. Um, but I'll probably be passing. BJ, Penny, for your thoughts here on Saints and Gunners. Yeah, I won't be playing it. We'll be way more emotion, emotionally invested as a fan. I can't really get there on the number, but yeah. So. If we go back to when these two teams met the first time, it was the start of essentially Arsenal's run back towards the top four. If you remember, I think we all played Southampton plus one. Arsenal was in terrible form at home. Southampton was coming off a few good performances. And Arsenal just 
thrash them similar to, I mean, not exactly the same, but pretty close to what Chelsea did, where there's just a ton of available space behind them. If you can play through pressure, which Arsenal was able to do. And now Arsenal's up to being one of the best teams in the Premier League at playing through pressure. So this one could get out of hand. I really, as a fan, I hope that Southampton is on the beach. They better be a little careful though. They're at 36 points, which typically what they say in the Premier League is if you're at 40 points, you're safe. Uh, so if they, I mean, this happened with Southampton last year, they had a great first half run. They beat Liverpool like right in the new year. And then they were the worst second half team in the premier league. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just did that again. So I, I definitely lean towards Arsenal. I think the matchup is really good for them, given what Chelsea was able to do against Southampton last weekend. Um, but from a projection standpoint, I only have Arsenal around plus plus one ten. So I will be passing and yeah, talk about must wins. This is a, Absolute must win with Chelsea on deck in the midweek. You brought it up. We, we talked about Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds, the Bielsa burnout. Ralph Hasenhutl, there could be something to that too, uh, with the way he has his team running all over the place uh, for 90 minutes in every game. Uh, Anthony, sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes you got to wear the black hat and betting and, and bet your rivals. You're close, huh? Yeah, I'm close. Like everyone's hitting the panic button again on Arsenal, which is usually when I want to buy them. Uh, because they're like the most narrative narrative team in the league. And so when everybody's out, it's usually when I want to look to bet them. I do concern myself with the loss of Kieran Tierney in this matchup. Tierney is so good at being an outlet, ball progressor up the wing, crosser, all those things that are very effective against the Saints team, and they don't have him. And I think that's a big loss in this matchup specifically. I do think they can load up with passers and still get through the press and still create chances, like BJ said. Also, that first game was the Willie Caballero game. I mean, he was catching the balls and then throwing them into his own net, uh, basically, as the goalie. So that was a bit of a weird situation, I thought. I think Arsenal scored three off of one and a half expected. So I make Arsenal minus 125. They're right around minus 105, 110. So, yes, I do show some value on the Gunners. I'm usually low on Saints. And I lean that way. We'll see if I get there by Saturday. Yeah, still no Thomas Party. I don't I don't know if Granite Shock is going to play left back again. What a horrible decision that was. Um, but we have nobody left, so yeah. we don't really we're in a position I, I, I where we don't have a choice of of what to do. So uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I I just we we need this win so bad. Yeah, I think Jacques is going to play left back again. I thought that was yeah, Arteta. We, yeah, I mean, we don't have saying we need passers to beat Brighton's presser, and we're going to do that. And it didn't really work. But I also didn't think Jacques was bad. I I don't know. I think I think he's better than Tavares at left yeah, back. He is. So I think we're going to see him again. I, but like I don't think it's bad. But then the midfield's weak, so it is a, a tricky situation. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I want to bet Arsenal here. I, I, it's tough. Although I think I might be betting them on Wednesday. We'll see. Here we go again. Um, all right, let's not give too too much away about Wednesday uh, for for our next pod here. Um, and we'll instead instead we'll talk about Newcastle and Leicester. The Magpies are at home plus one twenty five. Hosting Leicester City plus two thirty. The draw here is plus two forty. Leicester is three one and one over the last five. Six goals for five goals against. It's a plus one goal differential. Four point one four expected goals for nine point two expected goals against. This team cracks me up. Um, and Brendan Rodgers has been talking them up, and obviously he's the manager. They're getting results, so he's going to. Uh, but they are a luck box and due for some uh defensive and offensive regression at some point. They did just double up our boys from Crystal Palace. Uh, in, uh, excuse me, they got doubled up by our boys from Crystal Palace and XG in their last win and have been have lost the expected goal battle in three straight victories. It's just a, 
uh, a weird, weird team. And they've had, they're having a strange, strange season. And because they've basically been in the middle of the pack all season long, nobody's really been paying attention to them except for people who bet. Um, so a team that I'm just not going to get involved with, and I don't want really see much value on, on Newcastle either um, as they are safe and kind of have their own issues to work, sort through. So I'll be passing on Newcastle and Leicester, Anthony. Yeah, easy pass here. I think they could be flat. They have a road trip to PSV Eindhoven in the conference league on Thursday. And they have a second consecutive road trip to Newcastle. The market really likes Newcastle. I don't. A uh, lot of love for the market in Newcastle. Last match against Wolves, when we recorded, they were plus 120. They closed minus 110. Even I jumped in, and uh, they, they were not very good. They were quite bad, in fact. Uh, they were better than Wolves, but only scored because of a penalty, which was pretty dumb from Jose Sa. So not impressed by Newcastle as a favorite here. If I had to play it, I'd play the luck box in Leicester. But again, like you said, I don't really want to bet that team. I think they're in a very doldrums kind of spot here. And and again, off the PSV game, I think that's they could be flat, regardless of whether they win or lose. Yeah. And I mean it's it when you when you look at the two teams on paper, even with the home uh, field advantage for Newcastle, it's Leicester is a, a better team right now. Um even with the reinforcements that Newcastle made over the January transfer window. So I think that's the path that you can look for for Lester and, and BJ. You're strolling down that path. Yeah, why not? I actually really do like Lester this week. And I understand the spot is not great. I understand they've been overperforming, but I don't understand what the market is doing with Newcastle. I mean, Anthony mentioned they closed at plus 115 against Wolves. I understand we've talked about Wolves ad nauseum about how much they've overperformed. That even that is a little bit insane, especially without Karen Trippier and Callum Wilson. So Newcastle since January 15th, I mentioned this last week, but plus since they got in all the reinforcements, plus three actual goal differential, but minus 1.2 expected goal differential. They've have, they have the third most points in the premier league since that time frame, 23 points in, tw- in 12 matches. Uh, but their expected points is at 16.5. So pretty crazy overperformance here from Newcastle Leicester. Listen, they got Johnny Evans back, which I think is really big for their defense, which has been pretty much one of the worst in the Premier League. It's, uh, you know, playing Daniel Armati out of position, while he can do it, it just hasn't worked in that time frame. But since Johnny Evans' return, 1.3 XG allowed against Manchester United, 0.47 XG allowed against PSV in the first leg of the Europa Conference League, and then 1.3 allowed against Crystal Palace with a penalty last weekend. So with Johnny Evans in the lineup this year, I mean, Lester's still allowing 1.5 expected goals per 90, but without him 1.8 expected goals per 90. So he does have a positive effect on their defense. And the last time these two teams met, I mean, Lester drilled Newcastle for nothing at the King power 2.5 expected goals created off only seven shots. So you talk about luck box. That was probably a little bit of a luck box type performance, but from a projection standpoint, I mean, I only have, I have this match projected pretty close to a pick. I'm at Newcastle plus 163. If you look at 538, they only have Newcastle at 39%. Info goal has Newcastle at around 40%. So plus 125 sitting at 45%. Like that's that's a little too high on Newcastle. So I'm I'm actually going to take Leicester. Dono bet at plus 140. Uh, you could question motivation with Leicester, but you could also question motivation with Newcastle being pretty safe right now. So. Uh, Give me the Foxes to potentially get a win here at St. James Park. Yeah, wouldn't hate a, a Foxes win, actually, because I think I'll be betting Everton uh, next week and get as good a number as possible. All right, let's close out the Premier League schedule with 
Burnley traveling to West Ham would size up the relegation battle, as we always do when we get to either Burnley or Everton. Leeds United, they're uh, safe right now in 16th place, 33 points from 32 games played, plus 750 uh, to be relegated at DraftKings. Everton, they're plus 275 to be relegated, 28 points uh, from 30, 30 games played. Burnley's also played 30. They have 24 points. They're minus 330. Uh, to be relegated, Watford, 21 points from 31 games played. So they are seven points adrift with one more game played, minus 2,000. Uh, Norwich City, 21 points as well from 31 games played. And woof, um, they're basically off the board. It is interesting to note that we said it, that Everton and Burnley are back in the same spot that they were before the Burnley match, except with fewer games for each team to play, four points separating them. And Burnley before that Everton match was minus 650 uh, to be relegated. So they're not as, uh, as short as they, they were, which is giving me a little bit of agita, but um, yeah. So Burnley's traveling to West Ham in a, in a game that they're going to have to go for They're plus 425. They're catching West Ham in a good spot. The hammers will be minus 140 right now on the money line, three-way money line and the draws plus 280. West Ham's playing a really, really important game on Thursday against Lyon. Uh, the chance to go to the Europa league, semifinals a date with Barcelona perhaps like this is a big big game coming up for West Ham uh, a team that was relegated about a decade ago or, or a little bit more than a decade ago bounced right back up and has never really found great footing uh, in the Premier League like towards the top of the table but David Moyes has them playing well over his, his newest stint there and this would just be a, a huge step forward for them they've they've really turned the uh, London Olympic Stadium into uh, friendly confines for them. Fans seem to start to love it now. So this could be a huge letdown spot for West Ham, which gives me a little bit of trepidation, both as an Everton fan and someone, uh, and if I was to be interested in West Ham. However, I think the best way to play this game is to back goals. So I think I like both teams to score at minus 115. We know Burnley's defense has been struggling all season long and West Ham 9.2 expected goals allowed in their last six matches. They've alternated wins and losses over those six matches as well. So they're just really inconsistent. So a team that I, you know, like in that Everton match, I don't mind uh, backing uh, them them to concede and, and perhaps concede more than one. Uh, Anthony, you think Burnley can make a real go of it here? Yeah, I'm on Burnley. Plus a half, plus 120. West Ham and result, the result against Lyon is important either way. We don't know that as of recording, but I think either it's a letdown or they're flat or uh, it's, it's very hard after going to France for their biggest match of the season to then get up for a, a Burnley match in the league in a sleepy Sunday spot. They only had five shots against Brentford. That's like bad, really bad. Probably the fewest anybody's had against Brentford all year. And their, their attack is regressing hard and they've now lost Kurt Zuma, their best defender. It's a huge loss to a pretty thin defense as is. And you look across the board at some of the numbers for this team, right? Defensively, they've only conceded the ninth most non-penalty expected goals in the league, but box entry is 16th. Cross is completed allowed, 17th. Big scoring chance allowed, 12th. Pressures per 90, 18th. They allow the 15th most progressive passes and dribbles. So this is not a good defense until they get to their own penalty area where they're very good at preventing shots. Well, that I think comes down to the individual quality of your center backs where Zuma is pretty good, but now he's out. And I think they're thin there. They're going to have problems. Give me Burnley plus a half, plus 120. BJ, anything for you? Um, I feel like you'll be disagreeing a little bit. As I, I feel like Anthony, you, you haven't bet Burnley all season, and BJ, you you you're more akin to betting them, and you guys are are switching roles here. 
Yeah. So I understand that Burnley's carried over one expected goal in their last two matches against Everton and Norwich, who are two of the worst defenses in the entire Premier League. I I actually have a little bit of value on West Ham. I have them at minus 152. This is not a great spot for them. I agree with that. Traveling to France, having to come back without your two main defenders is, or without, you know, Kurt Zuma is troublesome uh, of a spot for West Ham. But I'm very interested to see what the market does with this because we see, we will talk about it, you know, in, in future uh, episodes, but motivation for certain teams is very key. I mean, West Ham is still very much in the race for at least a top six in a European spot, which is a huge deal to them. Like to the club like them, that's a big deal. Even if they're playing in the conference league, that is still a big deal to West Ham. Whereas United, if they don't get the champions, like they're going to be like, who really cares? Uh, So I think that we'll actually get a pretty good motivated type West Ham team. And they are at home where they play much better than on the road. I just really don't buy this Burnley team. I mean, the stylistically and tactically Sean Deitch cannot set his team up defensively anymore. He has to go forward. He has no choice left. He has to go for wins now. He can't just sit back and get points. He has to go for the win. So with Burnley having to play more open, like we've seen throughout most of the season, they've been terrible when they've had to be open. I mean, the middle of the pitch in a lot of their matches, if you watch, is just wide open for teams to penetrate. And West Ham, they lost Jared Bowen for a little while. They are completely healthy up front. I know they haven't been creating the chances that we've seen, uh, from the beginning of the season, but what better time to get back on track against a Burnley team that's going to be wide open? So the spot isn't great, but I'm very interested to see what the market is. I do need minus 125 or better to bet West Ham. We might get there, you know, given the spot and the motivation, we might get see some steam on Burnley. And I hope we do because I think this is that would be a very, very cheap price on a West Ham team that is sitting around, you know, seventh or eighth and expected goal differential. Versus a Burnley team that has a minus 17 expected goal differential on the season and has been really, really poor on the road. All right. Uh, that will wrap up the Premier League for the week. We will be talking a lot more about the Premier League on Sunday night as we look to some big midweek games. So for now, let's uh, flip to the Bundesliga. I'll turn to you, BJ. What's your favorite bet in Germany? Yeah. Um, oh, my. How the, the tables have have turned in the match that I'm going to bet. I like Leverkusen at home. John O'Bet no plus way. 110 against Leipzig. I I don't think I haven't bet Leverkusen at all this season. They've been massive performers offensively for large stretches, and we've complained about them at nauseum. But Leipzig has taken that baton from them. I mean, over the last eight Bundesliga matches, 24 goals off of 10.6 expected. That's insanity. I don't care who, how, how good you are offense, offensively. I mean, over the last two matches against Dortmund and Hoffenheim, they scored seven goals off of 2.4 expected. I mean, this run has to end at some point. And they're coming off a road trip to Italy against Atalanta on Thursday in Italy, coming back to play a road match against Leverkusen on Sunday. This is not a good spot for Leipzig. And if you can believe it, Leverkusen, now they're deserving of this, but they've been a tad underrated offensively since the 1-1 draw with Bayern. I mean, they scored five goals off of 8.1 expected. Now they were obviously due for that, but I mean, they're still third in the Bundesliga in non-penalty expected goals. They average around 1.7 per match. On the flip side, they're top five in non-penalty expected goals allowed. They're second in big scoring chance allowed, which is massive against RB Leipzig, who averages over two big scoring chances per match. In fact, Leverkusen's only allowed four big scoring chances in their last seven matches. I, I, I know the rest of the projection models out there from 538 to info goal 
have uh, Leipzig as a small favorite, but I actually have Leverkusen as a small favorite at home here. So uh, I'm going to take them, draw no bet at plus 110 against Leipzig. And this may come back to haunt me really, really badly, but it's just not that great of a spot for Leipzig, who's been drastically overperforming. Anthony, uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'll have a preview for that match. I am not betting Leverkusen, but uh, I do I do like the under. So you can read my preview as to why. And and oh man, that's that's like it's like when Dortmund played Leverkusen, you're like, oh man, this game's gonna be stupid, but uh, I have to play it, and that's where I'm gonna be on sa- Sunday. But before we get to Sunday, I like Hertha Berlin on Saturday plus a half on the road against Osberg, the Osberg luck box. Uh, they're, they're on the list too. I mean, th- this is one of my favorite Bundesliga cards of the year, so it could get ugly, but Osberg, another good cover for them and a, and a good performance against Bayern. They caught Bayern in a really flat spot, but they only conceded one non-penalty expected goal. So credit to them, but this attack is so bad. I can't get them being a minus one Oh five favorite against anyone in the league, except probably Greuther and, and, uh, Bielefeld, although I don't even think I'd get there with them on Greuther. So probably just Bielefeld, who I have rated as the worst team in the league. But they have cons- they've scored or produced less than one expected goal in six of their last eight Bundesliga matches. So we're dealing with a team who is not able to create chances. Ricardo Pepe, of course, was the big name signing they made in January. And four and a half 90s, not enough of a sample to judge him, but he's only had 0.27 expected goals per 90. Not going to cut it in Germany. Not good for him either. And uh, not good for his chances to be the nine in the fall. But with that being said, with this match, Hertha, they got embarrassed by their local rivals, Union, over the weekend. Good call by BJ there. But I think I'm going to buy low on them here. They've now lost four out of five. The only win they did have was against Hoffenheim, another overvalued team. And I think this is a similar spot for them to get at least a point on the road against a team who cannot create enough chances to be the favorite that they are. Yeah, I don't really have one. Uh, in the Bundesliga this week, but I do think mines. that uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I'll probably be betting. Mine, mines. I'm going to be on mines. I'm going to be on be mines. Betting mines, and I'll probably, I'll again? probably, I'll probably take a, a shot on. Be on mines. And 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 Union Berlin again is another fantastic spot. Getting uh, Frankfurt come traveling to Spain. Mines to take has on Stuttgart Barcelona. home. Yeah, I don't have that one. But I mean, mines. What a collapse last week. Yeah, those that's that's what we're looking for. But I, I mean, you just said it. BL Field is the worst team in the Bundesliga. They're playing Bayern after that match against uh, Villarreal. I I'll just... say this. I'll say this. I know Bayern could score a thousand. Yeah. Bielefeld plays in a low block. Like they can't defend, but like they do play in a way that Bayern just struggled to score against. And they, and they only scored. They only they scored one up. the first time they played them. And they, they were flat. Up. They've had, they, I mean, they lost to Bochum. Like it's not out of the question. So just, you might see that one come through uh, as we get closer to the weekend. All right, let's move to Spain. Not that BFL. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can see it. Like Bayern, I might, I might be on playing. like Bayern they're, team total. They're not, over four they're not playing for anything. Yeah, which could go two saying. ways, right? Do they, yeah. do they just say we're going to throttle it, throttle this right. terrible team? But it's again, either just like, what the doctor up. ordered for Bayern, or it's just what the doctor ordered for BL Field. Yeah, there's two teams that play kind of like a low blocky style generally, and it's Union and it's Bielefeld, right? And th- those are the kind of teams that just gave Bayern some trouble the last Champions League run. So. We'll see. I'm probably not betting it, though. Anyways, uh, let's move to Spain. Uh, I'll go first here. I like uh, Sevilla, similarly to, to what I was just saying. They're taking on Real Madrid at 3 p.m. on Sunday. Real Madrid is definitely in a letdown spot here coming off of that emotional victory over uh, Chelsea across the two legs. I think we could see a pretty shuffled 
starting 11 from Real Madrid too, considering what they just went through. And that should set up well for Sevilla, who are uh, fourth in non-penalty expected goals allowed per 93rd in big chances allowed in La Liga. And they should be able to handle this Real Madrid attack, which I don't think will have Kareem Benzema uh, leading the charge. So I'll take Sevilla two to one uh, against Los Blancos. BJ, uh, anything for you in La Liga? Oh, absolutely. I have the most boring match of the entire weekend, Alaves versus Rayo Vallecano. I mean, this line is a little bit crazy to me. I, Alaves, they're dead last. They're the worst team in La Liga, and they're staring relegation in the face. And they're slightly home favorites against Rayo Vallecano. I mean, the reason that they are is because Vallecano hasn't won a match since December 18th of 2021. And can you guess who that team they beat on that day was? Alaves. Alaves. <laughs> they beat them 2 nothing. Uh, so that's how bad it's been uh, for their run. Since then, they haven't won. They picked up four points in 12 matches and have a minus 13 goal differential. But their expected goal differential is only minus 5.5. Expected points is 12.8. So it's really not even close to as bad as, as it's been. Uh, since that loss as well, Alaves allowing around 1.9 expected goals per match. They've allowed 27 big scoring chances in their last 14 matches. And things just have gone really, really bad as of late. 9.2 expected goals allowed in their last four matches. Offensively, Alaves, they've been bad all season. But since that loss uh, in December, they've created over one expected goal four times in their last 14 matches. They're only averaging around 0.8 non-penalty expected goals for, for the per match for the season. And the main reason Viacano in that match, they dominated them. They won two, nothing uh, one on XG around 1.9 uh, to 0.6, but Viacano just smothered them with their press. I mean, 47.9% pressure success rate and their passes per defensive action was 2.6. I mean, that's basically one of the best pressing performances in La Liga this year. I mean, overall for the season, that's, I mean, it's not surprising because Viacano's fourth and passes per defensive action at Alves is bottom three uh, at playing through pressure. So I'm expecting another successful pressing performance from Viacano. I have them projected as a plus 131 road favorite. You could question motivation. I mean, they're pretty uh, stable there in the middle of the table while Alaves and they're in desperation mode. But I mean, this is a horrible matchup for Alaves at home. So uh, Rio Viacano draw no bet, uh, even money. Uh, I think has fantastic value. All right. Uh, now down to Italy, Syria. Uh, Anthony, what's your favorite bet there? So I'm actually going to split my bet here. Same game, two separate bets. Genoa team total over a half at plus 105. Genoa plus one and a half, minus 110 against Milan. You'll notice a theme of the last few weeks. If you listen to me on this podcast, I'm going to keep fading this Milan team as the pressure mounts on this attack to produce enough chances to go win the title. They have now slipped up their last two matches at home against Bologna and on the road against Torino. But they haven't conceded They've kept six consecutive clean sheets and they haven't, it's not like they haven't been conceding chances. They got conceded more expected goals uh, against Bologna, about 0.6 and about 0.8 against Torino. So they're conceding enough, not a ton of chances, but enough that you'd expect a team to eventually break through against them. It's not like they're completely shutting teams out from getting shots and chances. And I think Genoa is a team who, yes, they have really struggled to score throughout this entire season. And that's the main reason that they're, you know, pretty much in the relegation fight, but a lot of it has come from underperformance. They've only scored 24 goals from 31 expected. So you do expect that to come back at some point. And they have been fighting and playing pretty hard recently uh, and really trying to stay up. So I do think they'll be able to 
be competitive against an overvalued Milan, who again is in that must win spot. I'm going to fade them here and looking at the schedule, probably going to fade them when they play. Oh, there's not many great fade spots coming up, but overall looking to play against them. BJ, what, what about you in Syria? I mean, this is, I don't want to call it a game of the year because I feel like I've had like seven. Yeah, call a game of the year every week. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's Torino plus one against Lazio or minus one thirty-five. I mean, if there ever was a game of the year in Italy, like this is it. I mean, the Lazio overperformance just has not stopped. I mean, last weekend, four goals against Genoa off of 1.5 expected. Now that's 64 goals in Syria uh, off of 46.5 expected. It is comical at this point how much they are overperforming. Lazio is 14th in shots per 90 and second in big scoring chances. They just truly live or die by those t- high, high quality chances close inside the box. Well, that's a problem when you face Torino, who we've talked about at nauseum is one of the best defensive teams in Italy. They just held Milan to a zero, zero draw and only 0.8 expected goals, uh, which really isn't that surprising. If you, if you've been paying attention to Torino this season, I mean, for the season, they're only allowing 0.84 non-penalty expected goals per match, 10.1 shots per 90 and 0.71 big scoring chances per match. All of which are third in Syria. Torino, the best pressing team in Serie A by passes per defensive action and pressure success rate. They're also second in terms of progressive passes plus dribbles allowed and are sixth in both high turnovers and shots created off of high turnovers. I understand Lazio is very good at playing through pressure, but a lot of those stats come against uh, the smaller sides who can't press effectively the way that Torino can. I mean, Lazio, they really tend to struggle when they have to face from the top defenses in Italy against the top six defenses by expected goals allowed per match. Lazio is allowing or averaging 1.1 expected goals per 90 and have a minus seven expected goal differential in nine matches versus those teams against the rest of Serie A. They average 1.6 expected goals uh, per match and have a plus 13.3 expected goal differential in 23 matches. And Torino, on the other hand, plays incredibly well against the top six, only a minus 0.5 expected goal differential uh, in 10 matches against the top six teams in Serie A. So, I mean, I have this match projected right out of pick. Maybe if we just straight up look at expected goal differential, Torino plus nine on the season, Lazio plus 6.3. It's insane that Lazio is minus 155 at home. So give me Torino plus one. It's still there at minus 140. It would play Torino plus half a goal at anything plus money. Love them on the money line. Love them every possible way in this match. Motivation could be a factor, but I mean, this is about as good as a matchup as you're going to get for an underdog in Syria. Uh, real quick, we'll go to France League. Oh. Anthony, you got something for us in France this, this week, too. Allez, l'homme. Marseille, plus one and a half against PSG. I had this spot circled weeks ago. I know BJ will call them a luck box, and they have run a bit well. But again, have you seen some of the goals Dimitri Payet scored this season? Those are the things he does. But uh, anyway, uh, this defense is, is actually underrated, actually. They're number one in pre- preventing progressive passes and number one in box entries allowed and number two in crosses allowed into the box, number one in shots allowed. Like, this defense is legit. I know their attack has overperformed, but their defense is good enough to, to kind of slow down PSG, who did just go absurd, berserk. Messi had three assists, Neymar had three goals, and Mbappe had three goals against Claremont Foot last weekend. Poor Claremont Foot, But this is a big step up, and I, I do think Marseille's undervalued here. I only think they should be about a goal underdogs. I'm getting a goal and a half. So I'm going to take Marseille, France's second biggest city against PSG in Paris and uh, Alain Lom. BJ, a team near and dear to your heart. 
Yeah. Uh, Leon and Bordeaux, both teams to score at minus 115, I think has some good value. I mean, it's desperation time for both these clubs for different reasons. I mean, Leon, they're within five points of a Europa League spot. Bordeaux is two points from safety uh, to get out of the relegation zone. Two of the highest vent teams in Leon. Leon's matches average a little over three expected goals per match, while Bordeaux is around 2.95. It's also worth noting that Bordeaux has only kept one clean sheet this season. And funny enough, it was against Lille, and Bordeaux played with 10 men for about 60 minutes of the match, which is just just perfectly the way to end their uh, non-clean sheet streak. Uh, Leon offensively, really, really good. Around 1.72 XG per per 90. They're top five in pretty much every single offensive metrics. They've been on fire in the second half of the season since December 12th. Uh, they have not been held under one expected goal and they get to face the worst defense in France, Bordeaux allowing around 1.9 XG per 90 allowed 45 big scoring chances in 31 matches on the flip side though, Bordeaux's offense, it actually isn't that bad. I mean, they're around 1.1 expected goals per 90 minutes. Uh, but they are ninth in shots per 90 11th in big scoring chances. So that's pretty good for the 19th place team. Uh, additionally, the last time these two teams met, it was just pure chaos. It was a 2-2 draw, 4.7 expected goals were created, seven big scoring chances, five of which I might mention were created by Bordeaux. So I got the both teams to score line projected at minus 136, uh, so I like the value at minus 115. All right. Uh, with that, we will move on to our favorite underdogs for the week. Uh, BJ, let's go right back to you. Stade de Bressois, plus 230 against... Saint-Étienne, who is somehow plus 125 at home. I think this is what you would call uh, a motivation line because Saint-Étienne is trying to get out of of the relegation playoff spot while Stade de Bressois is pretty comfortable in the mid-table. But this line is just crazy. I mean, Saint-Étienne minus 17 expected gold French on the season while Brest is at minus 9.4. I mean, Saint-Étienne, they just got demolished by Lorient on Friday. I mean, they were up 2-0 and conceded six goals from that point on. Uh, they're one of the worst defenses in league on about 1.6 XG per 90, allowed around 40, around a little over 40 big scoring chances. Last time these two teams met, I mean, Brest pretty dominant, 1-0 performances, 1.7 to 0.7 XG. So this is what you'd call a little bit of a uh, overinflated motiva- motivation line for one of the worst teams in France. So, uh, give me breast, uh, plus two thirty. I am going with Brighton in a sell high spot on Tottenham Hotspur. We'll get to Tottenham in a second, but this Brighton team, they are really struggling lately, but we know, we know that their manager and their team are better than the, uh, Oh, one and six win draw loss, uh, run that they were on before defeating Arsenal at a similar line, five to one last weekend. Meanwhile, Spurs, uh, coming off a, Really, really good stretch here in the Premier League. Six zero and one win draw loss. Twenty five goals for five goals against on sixteen point five expected goals. They're almost running ten goals hot and six point eight three uh, expected goals against. So a little hot defensively. So I'm happy to sell high on Spurs against a team that we know punches up really well as an underdog. So I'm going to be backing the Seagulls. Brighton, Hova beyond five to one on the money line. Anthony, what do you have? I mentioned that I was betting them plus a half. I liked them on the money line as well at plus 320. Hertha, Berlin. I just think that if they get up here and they get ahead, Osberg's attack has been so dreadful. 
that they're not gonna be able to come back from behind here. And Hertha is the more motivated team, the more desperate team. I understand they're on the road, but I only make them plus two fifty here. So I like Hertha. You wrap all three teams, uh, all three of those underdogs together. Eighty-two to one uh, is the three-leg parlay. We'll see if that one. Feeling good about this one. Yeah, this one. This is. The I one. I don't anymore. I lost all. I just feel I. I just want one of these underdogs to hit and I'll let the listeners try to figure out which one that is. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to our favorite. It's not Stade de Bressois. No, it's definitely not Stade de Bressois. Uh, but I, th- I do, I do actually feel good about this one. 82 to one. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be putting that one in right after the, we finish recording here, but before I do that, we'll give out our favorite bets uh, in the premier league this weekend. Anthony, who do you got? Burnley plus a half at plus plus one twenty. I think the Clarets are a little undervalued here. You're getting West Ham coming down off of a brutal spot. They just had to go on the road to France, to Lyon, to play the second leg of the Europa League. That is their main priority right now because they're trying to get into the Champions League. And Burnley has some ability to get some cross into the box here. And I'm concerned about West Ham's defense. They're only 17th against crosses, 16th against box entries, and they just lost their best defender in Kurt Zuma to injury for the year. So... This, this West Ham attack, they only had five shots last week against Brentford. They've been falling off a little bit, and this team is generally overvalued because of how well they performed earlier in the season. They've been falling apart ever since, and so I'm taking the Clarets, the more desperate team, plus a half at plus 120. I'll go next, and sometimes it's hip to be square. I'll be taking Brentford. They're plus 160 traveling to Watford on Saturday morning. Watford's lost nine home games in a row. They're one, one, and four in their last six with four goals for 13 goals against 5.35 expected goals and 9.36 expected goals against. It's been ugly for the Hornets. Meanwhile, the Bees are buzzing. 4-0-1 win draw loss, 12 goals for, four goals against, including a monumental win against Chelsea. Sometimes you just got to drown out the noise in your head that's telling you you're buying way too high on a team and just back the spot. Brentford should give Watford a ton of trouble with their press. Watford just doesn't have the ball movers to beat it. So I'll be taking the bees to beat the Hornets on Saturday, plus 160 on Brentford. BJ, what do you have? Lester draw no bet at plus 140 on the road at Newcastle. In terms of spots, this is not a great one for Lester coming off a Europa Conference League match against PSV in the Netherlands on Thursday. But the market has drastically overrated Newcastle over the past few weeks. They closed at plus 115 against Wolves at home, which is just a crazy price. Now they're plus 125 at home against the lesser team that, yes, they've been overperforming. They haven't been that great defensively, but Newcastle over their last 12 matches, essentially since the start of the January transfer window, they have picked up the third most points in the Premier League. But over that same time span, they have about seven points less in terms of their expected points. They've been overperforming pretty drastically. Leicester did get Johnny Evans, one of their best center backs, back the last few matches. Only 1.3 XG allowed against Man United, 0.47 allowed against PSV in the first leg of the Europa Conference League, and then 1.3 with a penalty against Crystal Palace this past weekend. So the defense has improved a little bit with him back there playing alongside Sionku. Then when these two teams met the first time, I mean, Lester drilled them for nothing, 2.5 expected goals off of only seven shots. So incredibly efficient performance for the Foxes. I just can't get there on the number on Newcastle. If you look around other projection sites, I mean, 538 has Newcastle at 39%. Info goal has them at 41%. 
So a plus 125 at 45%, I mean, that's a little bit overvalued for Newcastle here in the market. I only have them at plus 163. So I like the Foxes, draw no bet at plus 140 on the road at St. James Park. All right, that wraps up a, another episode of Wonder Goal. We will be back with you guys on Monday morning to talk about some midweek Premier League matches. 